As I was beginning my equity journey, I was introduced to Eight Black Hands Podcast, a podcast focused on fighting for the voice of Black children. Scrolling through Twitter, I saw four Black men on screen, one in a dashiki, talking authentically about the Black experience in education. It was the first time that I saw educators unapologetically walking in their truth. Since then, I've had the privilege of getting to know the members, specifically Sharif el a proud alum of Overbrook High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and the former principal of Mastery Charter Shoemaker Campus, Sharif sees education as activism and teachers as civic leaders. Through these lenses, he is keenly focused on addressing a major challenge in today's education system. How do we build the pipeline to gain and retain Black teachers? His mantra, we need Black teachers, is more than a rallying cry but a deep desire to give voice to the over 8 million Black learners that need to see themselves in their classrooms and community. Shreve takes his rallying cry and acts on it as founder and CEO of the Center for Black Educator Development. Uh, Sharif, you mentioned that some of the formative years, the, that pre-K through sixth grade was really important in shaping is still who you are today, which is interesting because so many students are, and regardless of color, don't see a Black teacher literally ever, (laughs) or they don't see them early in their education. They may have one a little bit later on, but it's it's so minimal. Um, As as you think about the community building, one, how how important is it? We talk about it, but truly how how important is it and, and what are the benefits? And is that community building a slow and gradual process, like just kind of walk us through for anyone who truly wants to really lean into that space um, for their for their learners and their community. Yeah, I, I think community is absolutely critical to any learning. Like one, you, you got to understand like what's the relationship in communities between teaching and learning, or like what is that relationship? You know, like are you coming into a community assuming that they don't value education? that their people haven't sacrificed everything, you know, and people think like, oh yeah, well that was in during slavery. Yeah. People tried to learn how to read. So yeah, there, there were a few folks who did that. Like, nah, there are people right now who risk jails and fines to get their kid in a school that they're not zoned for, right? Like this value for education. Like there, there's, there's no parent who's like, oh yeah, I want my child to be illiterate. Or I want my child to be taken advantage of. Um, I want my child to not have critical thinking. No one is, is is saying that, you know, but we have to start like what's the mindsets that we have about communities and then be curious about what's the, their relationship with education, both positive and negative, because some of their distrust was actually honed and refined in the schools that we're we're in, right? Like they they have experience, they have a history, um, they have a a uh, unfortunate you know uh, experiences and circumstances in the relationship with that school, but that's very different in education. And if we can understand that and say like, okay, schooling, they may have a significant distrust and apathy towards schooling, but education, their communities are constantly teaching and learning from each other within the community, sharing resources, sharing ideas, all of that is education, right? And so if we can kind of separate the two and understand, okay, again, back to history and understanding, okay, this is what the experience have been. So actually they have a right uh, and to distrust the system that may have failed them for generations. 
Okay. But not let me think that, oh, this means they don't care about education. They don't care about literacy. They don't care about critical thinking is, you know, really uh, reveals more about ourselves than it does uh, the people that, you know, as educators, we, we often talk about. So, you know, I, you know, when I think about not only my school and yeah, you, you know, I had my elementary school experience, matter of fact, K to 10th grade, pre-K to 10th grade, I had one white teacher, you know, um, Mrs. Reynolds uh, in kindergarten was, was my, uh, you know, and she was like the, the only one, I think in the building from my record, you know, I was a kid, but I'm like, I don't most of the people that I remember um, were, you know, uh, black and brown, you know, um, and it was, you know, my kindergarten experience was at an Islamic school, um, ICCS here in Philadelphia. And I only remember Miss Reynolds being the white person in the school. And it didn't, you know, I was kindergarten and I didn't, I didn't care. Uh, but, you know, again, looking backwards, I'm like, wow, like, you know, she was the only one and she must have had uh, the mindset that they felt like, you know what, you are anti-racist. Um, and you can be in here. You're not anti-black. And then again, it was a Muslim school and she wasn't Muslim either. So they must've really saw something in her about like what they wanted us to be able to achieve <laughs> as, as kindergartners for, you know, for them to hire her. How do we get back to that, Sharif? You know, how do we create that sense of in, you know, to use the cliche, it takes a village, but truly, you know, yeah. So how, do, how, and regardless of the community, as we think about the different wraparound services, the support and guidance, the sense of belonging, all of the things, how do we get back to learning? Um, not just like you said, schooling, where everyone is involved, not just the the people in the, in the buildings. Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's such a great question. I think it's absolutely imperative. You know, I, th- I think we've, you know, we make a mistake when we rely totally on, on uh, institutions that weren't built for us. Uh, that weren't thinking about our development and liberation at the genesis of it. You know, like it's like building a, a, a skyscraper, it's 50, you know, 50 floors high, or you can do it by years, 250 stories high. And then the top window, you're like, hey, you know what? We need to add some window dressings. And that's like the equity. That's when we're thinking about liberation. We're going to sprinkle some. We already cooked everything. We set the meal. Now we're going to just add a little, uh, you know, uh, seasoning on top and call it like, hey, this is for y'all. So I I think, you know, we are, it behooves us to really consider what are the resources within our community? How do we stitch them together? What additional resources do we need? But also making sure we're listening, you know, asking, being curious about what are people's experiences and what do they need? Right. And that's that's what SNCC did. That's what Black Panther Party did. That's what so many activist groups, you know, they they listen to the community. So Ella Baker would say, listen to the community and then be a servant leader. Right. And so and everyone can pitch in. Everyone can can do something. But I I think sometimes there's an over-reliance on, uh, you know, institutions that were not originally thought of, crafted, engineered for black children's well-being in mind. Um, and so we have to say, like, where does that happen? It happens uh, with, with grandmas and grandfathers, right? Like that happens in our communities. That happens whether it's a indoor porch, rec center, after school. And I think we have to go from, and we, we have those places now, but so many of them are almost like detox centers. Like, all right, you, you were subjected to this, and now after school we're going to kind of detox you. But also 
let's how also do we think about it on a proactive way right from birth you know like uh chris stewart often talks about like every black child should get like a a package from somebody from us from the community every black child with like hey here are some here's some resources here's the books you need as parents here's the first books as children here are the resources here are the you know almost like a, a manual like a pro black manual that they're getting like that somebody just sponsors and like every black child gets this as part of their birthright um that kind of sets them up but then there's a you know we have blueprints for how this was done um in our communities around the country around the world right like this stuff didn't just happen um it happens in this very particular uh social economic political circumstances of being black in america uh but we have much to learn and retrieve and remember uh from from uh our continent yeah and you saying that because we talk a lot around like social capital when you were talking about listening to what we need but then how do we then listen for the things that are already in place because so often communities of color and um, ones that are maybe like under supported or looked at as from a deficit lens um so it's we have to bring in all of the social capital which is great and necessary in order to to close the gaps but there's already a richness as well that exists in the community where there are a lot of there's already a lot of capital that exists that students are connected to and trust so how do we ensure that that's also um heard and and those connections are um nourished yeah i mean that, you know one that has to be valued right like and and when i just think about like ed prep programs you know how often are they thinking about the the uh the value add of communities, you know, um, the critical learning that's happened before they they came to you, um, the history that they have, the understanding about life um, that they have, um, as opposed to thinking that everything good in the world uh, has a Eurocentric bent. Um, you know, I, I was speaking to a friend, a, a white a white uh, educator. And she said, yeah, it wasn't until she started teaching around and being around uh, black educators that she understood the importance of uh, connections to ancestors and communities. She's like, for a variety of reasons, I don't have any connection or even thinking about my ancestors in the way that, you know, uh, black communities uh, do traditionally. Right. And she said, like, that that adds so much to how I would teach today as opposed to how I was traditionally trained to teach, you know, where she's thinking like, oh, like there's so many things to pull from histories, legacies, learnings, and centering it like, hey, this is this is genius. You know, you go to every school and, and you know, they'll have a picture of Einstein and you'll you grow up thinking like, well, that's the only genius is either him or look like him. Right. Like and, and that can that can really cloud your judgment and vision about who actually have, has contributed to civilization over the millennia, who continues to do so, um, what were their motivations and learning and 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 love that uh, engineered how they contributed to civilization. But in a, in a society where, especially now, where sometimes diversity can feel weaponized, um, and, and as you talked about the, the teacher prep programs, how then do we um, 
inform our our teachers with the knowledge um, to step into these communities and not just not just black and brown communities, but any community, you know, as we're ensuring that all the different perspectives are are learned about regardless of kind of the makeup of the class, because we know the richness and diversity is great for all. So how do we um, change our teacher prep programs? Um, if you were kind of restructuring what teachers need to learn, what are the like the core tenets of what we should be teaching? Um, and what is the how how would you change up the canon of who the voices that they're hearing um, in those programs? Yeah, I mean, there's so much work to do in that in that space. Um, you know, we we often think about you know as as educators are trained today, and whether they're teachers or superintendents, is often grounded in in uh, white American and Eurocentric educational theory and behavior theory, right? So you learn about Sigmund Freud, Horace Mann, John Dewey, B.F. Skinner, Piaget, and many, many others. And then you said, then people are like, all right, now go teach those black kids, right? Like, you know, on these theories and frameworks that are devoid of any, you know, understanding about black children, brown children, right? And it has a, and you're, you're often taking theories that are people who are anti-black and then going to teach black children, you know, like that's not, you know, grounded in that. And so when we think about like, it's not just what's taught, it's also who's doing the teaching, right? And Dr. Greg Carr often talks about, you know, and this is in, in you know, black tradition, like what's the intellectual genealogy of the teacher, of the educator? And when we trace back this intellectual genealogy, we should find places that are anti-racist. That should be a common thread, that are liberatory, that should be a common thread, that are student-centered common thread that are community-based and you often don't see that right and so if we are if we haven't spoken about dr amos and and psychology uh if we've not looked at deeply gloria latson billings or dr joyce king you know contemporarily you know goldie muhammad and zaretta hammond right like if that's not grounding um you know the work to educate folks um, Dr. Kosal Lassane talks about, you know, she's uh, developing this canon of, you know, black teaching traditions that we know are, yes, they were developed for black children, but they're actually good for everybody because they're human based. You know, it, it centers humanity of children, it centers community, it centers on high expectations, first with the adults and with the community. It's less about managing a classroom and more about building a community of care you know, a culture of cooperation, right? That's a very different framework than, hey, here's how you manage classrooms. Very different, you know, uh, uh, situations and orientation. And so, you know, I, I would start start with that. Like, who's, who's, who's teaching? Who's doing the teaching? You know, that old adage of, you know, the hand who rocks the cradle. It's also the person who leads the room. You know, the person that leads the classroom, school, and district is just as, uh, impactful, positively or negatively, as the one the hand that rocks the cradle, the mind that leads the classroom. Yeah. Who's ultimately responsible for teaching these skill sets? Is it, or is it the colleges and university? Is it bringing more community even in those um, graduate schools of education? Like, who should be de- developing these skill sets in in teachers and beyond? As hard as it is, 
I, I don't see how we avoid it not being a community-based approach. It has to be people from our community. Our our experts uh, should be the ones to engineer and also hold the systems accountable for doing that, right? Like imagine if not only do you have to get certified um, to become an educator, but suppose you also had to have like community certification as well. You had to have some kind of community level endorsement. What would that look like, Sharif? Because that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, imagine if if... If I'm saying like, hey, I want to serve in this community, suppose I had to actually do work before I arrived to the school to be in charge of your child. I had to actually be involved in the community where we got to know each other. It's almost like courting, like maybe your freshman year in college. Maybe you are working at the, uh, you know, at the rec center, maybe at the library. Maybe you're doing some tutoring, but we get to see you over the years as you're developing. And at the same time, we're also you know, have our experts auditing what you're being taught within your institution. Yeah. So just to push for a second, do, I mean, I, I love that concept, but do you think, you know, especially with your work, you know, as you're building the teacher pipeline, do you feel like that's adding another layer to, for teachers to get into the profession, even though I, I understand it and I agree with it, but do you feel like that? It's a, it's a, I don't even know if it's a layer because if I'm, you know, people, universities have courses all, all the time. So if this course is designed where instead of you sitting there and listening to someone drone on about what BF Skinner said, you know, um, suppose you're actually in the community and you're actually learning from, from folks, you're, you're getting a better understanding. We got to remember like 80% of public school teachers are white. And so that's not just who leads the classroom. That also, that means if that pipeline is 80% white, that means that's also going to inform what people do after they leave teaching, if they stay in education, the instructional coaches, the curriculum writers and purchasers, the HR teams, the school leadership, the district leadership, the school boards, right? Like that. So that, that 80% continues, right? You know, that, that stream continues. And so if, their intellectual genealogy is one way. And let's let's also add on the variable that most white people don't have black friends, brown friends, right? Like this is their own research. They're like, oh yeah, most of them they don't have Facebook friends or you know, or actual friends, right? But they live in segregated communities. They went to schools and classes, especially if you're an educator, like how many uh, you know, you go to a, a typical PWI, how many black folks are in your educated prep programs? A lot of ed prep programs are less diverse than the overall, uh, you know, student body than the university, right? And so you don't live there. You didn't live there. You don't go to school there. You don't shop there. Your kids don't go to school, right? Like, so where are you learning about Black families? So that means your only relationship with Black communities, for example, might be just with their children in the school, you're not in this ongoing learning mode, partnership mode, generally. And this is a broad brush, but it's also an accurate broad brush for many folks, right? When I talk to, you know, I grew up in West Philly, and often when I when I do meet uh, liberal white folks around, you know, or otherwise, they'll say, oh, yeah, my, my grandfather used to uh, live there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a couple generations removed, they moved away. And they haven't even engaged. You, you don't know what the shops are. You don't know where where folks are. You don't know what the what people are working on, what they're struggling with, what their joys are, what their wins and successes are. And so there has to be a way to educate 
And again, back to not just the schooling, but their education. How are they being educated about the communities that they're coming to work in? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And the that that class designation when I read Isabel Wilkerson's book was really um, enlightening for those very reasons. And so, because of all you stated it becomes even more important to ensure that learning is learner-centered, where students are at the middle co-authoring what their journey looks like. Um, Because like you said, some educators often don't know their journey. They don't know their home lives, their communities. And so, but students live in it every day. So of course they do know. And so how do, what what does that look like to you to how do we empower students to truly be a part of this process of designing their education and so that the teacher is not the teacher, but a facilitator or the civic leader, as you say, and and they're working in tandem alongside each other to to do what's best for that particular learner. Yeah. And, you know, and this is this is where it gets into not just the art of teaching, but the science of teaching. Right. Like there are some very deep skills necessary to lead a classroom. And this is why I give all my respect to effective educators. It is such a uh, a monumental task can be done. We see it done. We see master teachers all the time. Um, but, you know, one, like the things that it takes, because it's not just like, oh, I'm going to just come in every child. They're going to get their into like that, like like actual like practical stuff, because I hear a whole lot of, you know, theory and stuff and rhetoric around these kind of, you know, um, pedagogical practices and instructional um, ideas. And I'm like, okay, show me how that's done in scale, right? But, you know, if you start with the mindset, you start with the background, like the tools, you start with the orientation, then you're a little bit closer. But, like, here's just a couple examples, right? If I come in as a teacher, and this is, and I'm, and I'm not saying this theory, this is like how I approached it as a 21-year-old teacher, but then this is how my community grew me to think, right? Like, so this was already my worldview, But, you know, one of my first conversations with my classes was like, hey, I'm only successful if you're successful. But guess what? You're only successful if I'm successful. So that means we have a shared journey. My students won't be able to come to you and say like, oh, yeah, Mikey used to say, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Or, you know, I got mine. You know, I get paid whether you learn or not. Like they never heard anything come out of my mouth like that because I didn't hear anybody say that until high school. So that wasn't part of my deeper understanding of what is a community within the school, right? And so if I come with that framework and that orientation, that means like, hey, we have to cooperate, right? I have to understand what you need, but you also have to understand what I need. And there will be times where I need you to have self-discipline and self-control. And there's going to be times when I need to have self-control and self-discipline in order for us to go on this journey together. Instead of telling them, here's all the rules, regulations, policies, and procedures you need to follow. And if you don't, here's what happens. And here's what your kid, happened to the kid. Imagine I say, hey, what do I need to know about your child? How do I know when your child is feeling frustrated? You know, how do they like to be celebrated? When do they most feel heard and respected? Yeah. And it sounds like that, that step of curiosity um, and it reminds me of our mutual friend who just wrote his book, Carlos, about how that curiosity then can lead to love. And that's what it sounds like you're ultimately curating and and how Rita Pearson said, kids can't learn from people that they don't like. Um, so it's like this spectrum um, to get to the literacy and beyond. Listen, I mean, one of the saddest things I think about our education is that we have 
ongoing debates about, well, I don't need to love children to teach them. And to me, I'm like, why is that even a conversation? Like, why is that taking up oxygen in the room while you're like that? Why is that even? Uh, I, I just, I don't even understand that because that's not where I came from, right? Like, my educators had a deep love for, even if they met me for the first day, they loved, they loved me. And I knew it, right? They loved me as a human being, as a young black child, as a community member, as their future, right? Like they had that kind of connection, that deeper level of connection of understanding like, oh yeah, you're going to be successful and you're a part of our, our future and our legacy. And it's my responsibility. It's my pleasure, duty, and honor to, to serve you in this capacity as your, you know, as the first, as the first learner, as your teacher, as your educator, as a partner to your family, pleasure, duty, and honor. And you have other people who are like, why well, I got to have that just to teach? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm like, you're already not on the same planet as me, you know, and the experiences that I've had. And I, and I, and I get like, I had such a privilege in my, in my upbringing. Um, but at the same time, I'm not an anomaly. There's so many, and you know, they may have it in a classroom and not in an entire school, but they have it and they know when they have it. They know when they experience uh, being felt like a human being. They know when they were safe, not just physically, because that's the first thing they think, oh, black guy, safe physically. No, they know when they were safe culturally, emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually. Let's start there. It, when you said that, and I'm just like, it gave me just like goosebumps or goosies, like my pleasure, duty, and honor. Like if a teacher were to say that to me as a student. And mean it and believe it, right? Like, and show it and demonstrate it. Like, all right, how do you show this is a, a, my pleasure? Because I, I remember first becoming a teacher and someone saying, yeah, don't smile till Christmas. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, I mean, you're literally, you're literally practicing being mean to children. Like, yeah, like who taught you? That? Like, again, what's your intellectual genealogy? Who taught you to think like that? I remember when I first heard a teacher, and again, I was a naive 21, 22-year-old. When I, I remember when she told, you know, I, I said something, I was doing something. She's like, I don't even like kids. I thought she was joking. I, I literally thought she was joking until as the year continued, I saw she was deadly serious. How she spoke to kids in the hallway, how she corrected them, how she you know, just how she interacted with them. And then when the kids didn't respect her, you know, they used to call her, her last name was Brown. They used to call her Doodoo Brown. At that time, the song came out. And so when they were, when they, they when they had enough, they would like lash back. They didn't have the words, but they were just saying like, you're making us feel a certain way. And so this is our response. This is our, this is our juvenile, childish, age appropriate, development appropriate. This is sixth graders. This is how we're responding. We're going to be just Dan, doo-doo brown, doo-doo brown. You know what I mean? And, you know, and we know that that pushes your buttons. But you've been pushing our buttons all year. Right? And and but all, all this to say is, like, the training and development of educators, both pre-service and in-service, is, is, is continuous. Right? Like, Dr. Beverly Tatum talks about us all, you know, a breathing in invisible smog of, of racial biases. All right. And how do we make sure that we are challenging ourselves and each other to excavate that, to examine it, to make sure that we're, you know, uh, thinking about, wait a minute, where did I learn that from? Where did I pick that up from? Where do, why do I think like this about this child? Um, you know, every lesson plan is a political document and every time we teach is a political act. And it behooves us to approach it um, with that level of seriousness.
who who's currently challenging you, Sheree? Who's pouring into you, challenging your thinking? Who's doing that for you right now? You know, one students all the time. You know, every every chance I get, you know, just I miss being in the school because of you know the challenge and the learning that that they provide all the time. I think you know, as far as like what I'm you know reading and listening to, like Dr. Greg Carr out of Howard University in class with Carr, the narrative, like that's ongoing. Uh, for, I would say my uh, my friend Dr. Kosua Lassane and and the uh, the resources that she's curating around black teaching traditions, um, what the competencies are to be effective educator for black children. Uh, I would say folks like Dr. Jarvis Givens, you know, helping to fill in some of the gaps in, you know, uh, the history of black educators um, in this in this country. I would say my youngest daughter, uh, all my children, but particularly the, you know, the younger kids have a very particular mission <laughs> to show you like, yeah, I don't care what you learn. Here's here's what you need to learn. Here's what you don't know. Uh, still, you know, I, I had the opportunity, you know, Dr. Suzette Hakeem, a cousin, you know, she's in her 70s now, you know, like I reached out to her because I actually want to learn more about the genesis for action reading, right? So like I can make sure that I'm incorporating that in my thinking. Because I remember as a child, I remember how every once in a while me and my cousins and, you know, we'll talk about, oh, remember we used to do, but I've never like interviewed her in depth to understand like, okay, what's the, uh, the insights that you brought into action reading to, to pull this together, to modify it, to continue to do that. Same with the Dr. Martin Ryder who recruited me to teach. You know, um, interviewing him and his wife, Janet Ryder, um, about, okay, Janet Ryder was in the Black Panther Party. Then she became a teacher. Same kind of, and she was friends with my mother. Um, then later, her husband actually recruited me to teach. And they not knowing that, right? But uh, here I am in the same circle. But I also wanted to know, like, okay, what? where did you start? How did you think about this? Where were all the people that telling you, no, stop, can't, you know, cutting away from your vision, trying to end you know, snip away from your vision of doing this. How did you navigate that? Right. Like, so there's so much, I'm learning for everybody. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I I could go on and on and on. Um, Right now I'm reading two books, um, you know, Stokely Carmichael um, and another one about, uh, about Malcolm X, you know, um, the dead or rising, I think is the name of it. So those are like the two books that I'm reading simultaneously as I'm, listening to history, you know, every chance we get with my father, you know, uh, we're recording him, you know, to, to, just to capture like, okay, what are things that we need to ask? Um, so we can fill in the dots, but also learn and, and what they use in the past isn't going to necessarily mean exactly what we use, but it can most certainly inform what we're doing. The, the last thing I'll ask though is what is that must read? Like, what is your must read book of all time for, for educators? There's a couple of things. There's a book uh, or education of black people by W.B. Du Bois. There's a, a list of speeches that people can find that's compiled, but it's like Malcolm X speeches to the youth. Uh, Dr. Michelle Foster, uh, you know, black teachers on teaching. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Vanessa Siddle Walker, you know, um, you know, not only her books, but her YouTube, like her 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 uh, her talks. 
Um, you know, these are all things I think uh, Jarvis Givens, Dr. Jarvis Givens, uh, fugitive pedagogy. Um, you know, all of these are like things that could, again, not just for educators who are currently, but, you know, uh, these professors in ed prep programs should also be reading this and understanding, um, you know, like what's happening. Um, nice, nice. Well, Sharif, every time I talk to you, I, I learn something. I've I've been up close in person, up close in front, and just listening to the panels or being in community with you at a leadership journey to hear about your different stories and to to now on a podcast with you to to learn more and for our listeners to learn more. So I truly appreciate the work that you're doing and your willingness to share and help us to continually make us all better as we think about how do we educate students. Um, to truly be able to see themselves in not only the school spaces, but just within our community. So thank you so much for being with us today. My absolute pleasure. See you in Philly soon. All right. Sounds great. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 